our job is to depart from the way we understand sustainability now and the way we want to use it. But there is a such thing as when prices are too low. You can get overuse and overconsumption. In a sense, we're free riding off the planet because we're not paying for what we're using from the planet. Sustainability, the term, can be so specifically defined that people think it's useless as a word, but it's something that kind of wraps the entire community at App State together. From Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina, this is Sound Effect. Here's your host, Megan Hayes. Appalachian State University has a long-held commitment to sustainability. We are a place that has, since our founding in 1899, been dedicated to improving education and therefore quality of life in our region. Nearly 120 years later, we continue to build on this legacy with the mission to improve the environmental, economic, and social equity of our community, region, and world. We call this a mission of sustainability, and we take a holistic, three-branched approach to the concept of sustainability. This means that as an institution made up of individuals, we ask ourselves to consider as a community of students, faculty, staff, and citizens of our region, state, nation, and world, we ask ourselves to consider whether our actions are sustainable economically, environmentally, and equitably in relationship to our planet's co-inhabitants. But what does this mean, really? Sustainability has so many meanings, and these meanings are contextual, they're multifaceted, and they're evolving. Recently, we sat down with three faculty experts to discuss what sustainability means here at Appalachian State University and to help reveal how our institutional commitment to sustainability reveals itself in our research, our creativity, our innovation, and our practice. The discussion was rich, multifaceted, and passionate. And it opened the door for further conversations about sustainability, both here in the podcast studio and hopefully, if we've done our jobs right, in offices and over meals, during workouts, in meetings, at conferences, across our campus and beyond. Our panel was Dr. Dinesh Padel, Assistant Professor in the Department of Sustainable Development, whose research and teaching interests include climate change, identity politics, political economy, and subaltern social movements. Dr. Shay Tuberty, Associate Professor in the Department of Biology, whose research interests are in ecological biology with a focus on water quality issues. And Dr. Tuberty is also co-chair of Appalachian's Sustainability Council. And Dr. Todd Cherry, professor in the Department of Economics, whose research and teaching interests include environmental and natural resource economics, regional economics, and public economics. Dr. Cherry is also the director of the Center for Economic Research and Policy Analysis at Appalachian and a senior research fellow at the Center for International Climate and Environmental Research, Oslo, in Norway. We're presenting their conversation in a four-part series, which you can listen to in series or out of sequence, as their discussion covered many different topics. And now, our conversation. So I'd like to start with a baseline question. Dr. Tubity, in one of your bios, I was reading it suggested that if I pulled aside 10 people walking across campus and asked them the question, what is sustainability, I'd get more than 10 different answers. My guess is I'd also get a lot of answers related to very visible, tangible aspects of environmental conservation, like recycling, um, you know, reducing pollutants, turning off lights, things that seem very natural that we can grab onto. So I'm going to do that here, utilizing your research specialty areas, your daily conversations with your colleagues and across the world, what and how you teach in the classroom. How would you answer that question? What is sustainability? I think that uh, I moved to Boone because of water quality. And all my research relates to water quality and quantity. 
but mostly quality. So for example, this week I was fly fishing with some colleagues and just amazed at the clarity of water immediately after a storm. And having lived in places like New Orleans and the Midwest and even central uh, Tennessee, immediately after rains, you can count on the water being so muddy you can't see anything in it. And fishing is usually out of the question. So for me, it's about water quality and clarity and how that relates to human development and land use changes around places like the Southern Appalachians, where we usually enjoy super clear water, ubiquitous water, um, and people take it for granted here. Not everyone, but a lot of people do. And how those changes affect the use of water and how do we maintain water for not just human use, which is usually the top of most people's minds, but also supporting ecological roles for fish and in invertebrates that live in streams and salamanders and whatnot. So for me, sustainability is about water. As you mentioned, I've, I've kind of talked about how sustainability, the term, can be so specifically defined that people think it's useless as a word, but it's something that kind of wraps the entire community at App State together and allows everyone to buy in in any way that they think is important. Sustainability is a perfect word. And so I think it's a, a very strong point of the word sustainability and the, the fact that university is, is used this to kind of create an identity around is perfect. I think it's, it's ideal. Dr. Patel? Thank you. Um, this is a really very important concept. <clears throat> I think I'll be a little conceptual in this. Rather than finding a proper definition or kind of universal one definition, I think we should think about this range of practices that allow us to think about ecology, about equity, about justice, about our environment, about our planet as a whole. So I think that's very important. Rather than thinking about, you know, what is proper and accurate definition, we should think about how this concept came about in the first place. What was the history that it wanted to achieve? And secondly, what are the different possibilities, potential it can bring in? What are the possible changes it can actually bring in for us as a society, ecology, and planet as a whole? For example, sustainability has a huge potential to really transform the way ecology is now understood, ecological integrity, ecological systems, and its proper, not management in a like human-controlled way, but to understand as a system independent of all other things. And secondly, how this concept could actually bring social justice, equality, and collective well-being around the world. I think these are the very important concepts. And any practices, range of practices, that brings these two major changes, kind of ecological integrity and social justice and equity, I think the, that's what sustainability is. So sustainability came in the 70s to really, really um, stop those destructive practices through our um, economic un, and other social uh, systems. Over time, though, it's almost co-opted now. It is now used to reproduce the very system that actually destroyed in the first place. So our job is to probably radically depart from the way we understand sustainability now and the way we want to use it now to really make a sense of it. So therefore, I think it has a huge potential and those practices, they bring in environmental and social justice. I think that's what it is for me. Dr. Cherry. 
One of the underlying issues of these different perspectives of sustainability is what we call substitutability. Um, there, there are, over time, things change. Uh, we have new resources being developed or created, um, and then new processes that allows us to use our existing resources differently. So there's some shifting going on between resources and, um, and how people view this, this issue of substitutability um, is really at the center of, of, a, of a lot of these different perspectives. Um, on, one, on one side of the spectrum, you have people that want to that endow the next generation with exactly the same amount of resources and the exact uh, conditions as we have today, and that's more of a strict sustainability. And then you have on the other side of the spectrum, you have people that, um, that think anything can be replaced, so they'll be happy eating you know, their dinner from a machine like George Jetson. Um, so, but th those two extremes, and we're somewhere in the middle, and I think one of some of the issues is how we how we as a as a society controls those those dynamics and what do we what what's important what's irreplaceable what do we want to preserve and conserve and what are uh, our options for uh, improving things and I think that's the real tension. So that was an interesting uh, definition, a new concept I wasn't aware of the substitutability. Yeah. It's an interesting way of looking at it. This is the fun part about sustainability. Is like there's, I mean, talk to an artist about what sustainable art is. Yeah. And, you know, I've had folks in the ecology department just start laughing. Sustainable art, what the hell is that? I mean, you know. But when they tell you what it is, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. You know, it's just they have a completely different way of looking at the world. And it's every bit as uh, valid as mine. It's just yeah. different. Um, and, you know, that same person, you know, she and I were trying to come up with a definition for the website for the Office of Sustainability. I mean, we kept saying the same thing over and over again, but neither, I don't think either one of us understood what we were saying. <laughs> so again, again, I think it's really good. Yeah, it's nebulous. Well, I think that's why we're kind of grasping for some topics that people tend to, you know, gravitate toward mm -hmm. when they're thinking about sustainability. And so um, one of them that we thought might be helpful to frame this conversation around is climate change. So this is an issue that people have really strong opinions about, and I'm sure each of y'all has strong opinions <laughs> about climate change. But let me ask you this, how can a discussion about climate change be framed within the context of all three E's? So equity, economics, environmentalism, can we go beyond this pretty primarily environmental discussion that we ha are having right now as a nation and really relate this to economics and social equity, Dr. Terry? Yes, I think climate change is a perfect example of how those three things fit together. In particular, climate change is a result of the failures of our economic and social institutions and uh, our failures to manage our resources effectively. The origin of the problem is economics and social institutions, and so the solutions are going to have to come from those origins. Finding those solutions is really difficult because of the equity issues, because um, the countries that contribute the most to the problem are the ones that aren't going to be affected as much as the others. So there's these inequities that make the negotiations at the international level very difficult. And I think that overcoming some of those issues and the equity issues and uh, what's just and how to approach the problem has been a real challenge. Dr. Patel? Thanks. I, I agree totally with that. Um, you know, the, I have some problem with this 3E framework um, because they are contradictory uh, to each other. For example, economic growth, ecology, and equity, they do not really operate together. Economic growth requires what? 
you have to uh, extract environmental resources and also at the same time exploit or mobilize large scale population and try to pay as less as possible, make more profit. That's how you grow economy, right? So you cannot achieve environment and equity by at the same time putting economic growth at the center. And largely understood within sustainability, these three E's is driven mainly by economic growth. Economic growth, but at, at the same time also not devastatingly destroying environment and social justice or equity part. Let's also care about that, but main driving thing is economic growth. So I think we must rethink about these three E's if we really want to achieve sustainability and with the focus of ecology and equity. Climate change, for example, you know, global warming. We know it is because of what? Carbon dioxide, right? And we always understand this as a very technical kind of fix problem rather than social political problem. I totally agree with him that it is actually institutional economic problem. Carbon is already there on Earth. What we do, our economic system put that carbon up, extracts it, and produce and puts on the air as carbon dioxide, right? So that's actual science out there. But how that happens, that is because of our very system, very system of like producing goods and consuming them, right? Our uh, way of living, consumerism and system of uh, you know economics that we have i think that's the real issue without dealing with these you know very fundamental issues will not even be able to think about sustainability within this global warming framework so i think it is fundamental to think through those economic institutions our practices rather than actual this as an environmental problem Dr. Cherry, can you talk for just a second? Can there be economic growth without the devastating? Well, I think that you have to think of economic growth more broadly. I mean, what is economic growth? Is it, as what was alluded to, is it more consumption? But it doesn't have to be more consumption. Economic growth can come in in different ways. uh, Economic growth is essentially improvements in well-being. And that could be more leisure time. I mean, it's not the, necessarily the system. I mean, the system and, and preferences are endogenous to the system. I don't want to dismiss that reality, but the system generates progress. But what we do with that progress as humans, and when we become more productive, what do we do with that extra time? Do we work more? I mean, our smartphones, do we use that technology and that uh, gains in productivity for more time at home, or do we spend that time at work? doing more things. In part, it's our decisions on what to do with these gains in productivity and efficiencies. So how do you define economic growth is kind of answers that question. And then also the market system, climate change is a product because the market failed. It's, it's been called like the greatest market failure in history, right? So markets work really well when prices fully reflect the cost of things. And if the prices don't reflect the true cost, then we end up with problems. And In the U.S. in particular, we're really interested in low cost, low prices. But there is a such thing as when prices are too low. And when prices are too low, you can get overuse and overconsumption and and a lack of conservation. In in a sense, we're free riding off the planet because we're not paying for what we're using from the planet. (laughs) Just to be wonderful, thank you for clarifying that. That would be wonderful if we define economic growth as actually social well-being. But unfortunately, that's not how it is under this very competitive, market-led, very industrial capitalist system that we have 
at present. We understand economic growth is in dollar terms, right? Okay, we have $50 billion is surplus that we produce. So they are actually actual extraction of profit. They are considered as a more how much we produced, rather than how much well-being we generated for society, right? We never measure that. One country like Bhutan, if you heard of that, they calculate their national growth as happiness, gross national happiness. Probably that will help us to rethink how we conceptualize economic growth. But yes, I agree. If we understand economic growth from well-being perspective, that would be wonderful. But the way we practice right now, we are mostly thinking about profit, and how much surplus profit we made. So, yeah, it's a good conversation to have under sustainability. Well, and then G- GDP, um, which was created by an economist a long time ago, and they all, right from the start, they warned that this is not a measure of well-being. Income is not a measure of well-being. It's a problem of metrics, and we focus on metrics. I mean, you can see it in the education system. You say that we should be increasing our graduation rate we can do that by making everything a lot easier but is that really what we want to do so uh, there's an emphasis on these metrics that can lead people in directions and forget the other things that it's not capturing did you want to add to that dr tuber i'd like to interject something a little different Um, listening to these two talk about economic growth and you know they seem to have you know some different views on that but also we talk about consumption one of the changes in the horizon is, you know, reducing our carbon-based energy sources and increasing our solar-based resources, which will change the playing field to some extent. But we still have water use and food productivity that's going to be ever-increasing as our population goes up. And as an ecologist, you know, all of us take population ecology as undergraduates. And one of the things you learn as a biologist is that you can't have sustainable population growth forever when you're increasing by billions and billions per decade. And it's just, uh, you know, you're going to outlive your sources of food and energy and and water. And so with using technology, humans have been able to get around some of the laws of ecology. I think what we're seeing right now with climate change is actually some of the drastic effects of not thinking long term. But I'd like to draw the focus to one of those resources, again, water. And when you talk about the three E's and using climate change as a, as a focal point, I think it's a great one, as the other two have alluded to already. But if you look at water use in the western part of the United States, so let's bring it back home to the North America. You can talk to folks in California or Colorado, and you know Colorado folks are, are angry at California because they're actually suing them for water rights. They're not even neighbors. So we're talking about hundreds of miles away. Some state is saying that you can't use your own water in your backyard because they've already paid for it or have an agreement to use it. Other countries in Africa and some of the other continents are already realizing reduced water availability. Don't even worry about water quality, just they don't have any. The lines between this country and that were often drawn by, you know, we're sharing this lake or we're sharing this river. And uh, even within the southern states, uh, you know, use South Carolina and Georgia as an example, they keep trying to end round the other state by putting a water intake further upstream. And so the the claim holders of water quality and water quantity are already realizing the effects of climate change. And so my own family questions me on during family reunions, you know, do you believe in this whole rigmarole about climate change, you know, blah, blah, blah. And unfortunately, 
you can divide the nation into who understands and is already trying to fix climate change and those that deny that it even exists, right down party lines. And um, only in the last couple of years are we seeing that the government, at least, is acknowledging and agencies within it are acknowledging that climate change exists and now we have to fix it. That's been a big change for the better. And I think along with changes in, in energy production, we can start seeing some major changes in within the economies and at least within the governments and how things are being perceived. But um, with the equity issues, again, I think Todd put it on the table already, is that the countries that are going to be most affected are often the least responsible. And so the equity comes in with, you know, how do we deal with these countries that are going to lose square footage or square miles of property as sea levels rise? And there's already a couple island communities that they're looking for a place to go tomorrow. So uh, this is not something that we need to worry about 100 years from now. It's happening. Um, other equity issues that I deal with are where toxins go. As an ecotoxicologist that deals with water quality toxins, a great example is coal ash. So when the 2008 coal ash spill happened over in Tennessee, the community that received that coal ash as it was moved from the basin it was stored in that had you know, ruptured over to someplace else for long-term storage was like the, the poorest county in the state of Alabama. And immediately that community, you know, the person that owned the, the landfill made some money on it, but the rest of the community was really worried about their health and the water quality of the leachate coming out of that landfill, which was immediate. So that community doesn't have social equity in the fact that, you know, they're being dumped upon, literally, with all the toxins that another rich community didn't want. It goes, you know, the fingers go everywhere as far as the interaction of these threes. The conversation does not end here. It continues with a more in-depth discussion of social justice and how racial equity is key to a sustainable society. Next time on Sound Effect. We have these worldviews that are shaped around the people that we live with and we interact with, and we can be wrong, and we might not know it. To achieve social justice and preserve ecology, we must first deal with justice, that is equity. And so again, that's a big part of sustainability. It's the part that is often hidden from the public's perception of what is right and wrong. And then when you tell the story, everyone's behind it, but where that money comes from is always uh, somebody else's problem. Today's show was written and produced by Troy Tuttle, Dave Blanks, and me, Megan Hayes. Our sound engineer is Dave Blanks. Our web team is Pete Montaldi and Alex Waterworth. Our theme song was written and performed by Derek Wyckoff of Naked Gods. Our podcast studio is dedicated to Greg Cuddy. Special thanks to Stephen Dubner for the inspiration, advice, and moral support. Sound Effect is a production of the University Communications Team at Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina. Thanks for listening. For Sound Effect, I'm Megan Hayes. Hi, Sound Effect listeners. Just a quick note about these sustainability conversations. We were actually surprised, pleasantly surprised, and in retrospect, we really shouldn't have been surprised, but we were, that this conversation got so deep so fast. And we knew even before we started recording the conversation with Drs. Podell, Tuberty, and Cherry, who we dubbed the three wise men, that we needed to hear from wise women as well, women and men from more disciplines like art and education and government and justice studies, and from people who help run our campus as well as teach our students. And pretty quickly, we 
understood this was becoming its own program. So we decided to launch a new podcast series hosted by a sustainability expert, someone who is so steeped in the concept that it literally informs his daily life, what he eats, drives, how he interacts with others, why his lights are never turned on in his office. That person is Dr. Lee Ball, and he leads the Office of Sustainability here at Appalachian. His new podcast series is called Find Your Sustainability, and you can hear it on iTunes or at AppalachianMagazine.org. Hope you enjoy it and Lee as much as we do.